0: start with our summary statement. Psalm 138 praises Yahweh for his covenant promises to David, which he will fulfill in faithfulness to his own name. We'll go over that one more time. Psalm 138 praises Yahweh for his covenant promises to David, which he will fulfill in faithfulness to his own name. A simple outline for the psalm would be in two parts, verses 1 to 5, the great glory of the Lord. Verses 6 to 8, grace to the lowly. That was verses 1 to 5, the great glory of the Lord. And verses 6 to 8, grace to the lowly. All right, we'll go to our observations. So Psalm 138 was written by David. You can see the superscription there, a psalm of David. Uh, the superscription attributes it to him. Um, there's no musical direction for the singing of the psalm. Um, you do have two different references to singing in, uh singing of praises in the text of the psalm uh, in verse 1 and verse 5. Um, but no further musical direction is indicated. There's no occasion that is given for the writing of the psalm, and when you read the psalm, it has a future orientation, and so it's praising the Lord for what he will do as though it has already been done, um, which is not uncommon in in some of the future-oriented or prophetic, uh, predictive-type psalms that we have looked at. Um, To categorize this psalm, it is uh, a praise psalm, and it sort of has the conventions of a praise psalm, but it's, it's not standard um, like what we typically see. And again, you know, these categories are just um, categories that, that we sort of discern uh, by reading the psalms, by comparing them, seeing certain features, whether it's structural features or whatever that it may be, to where we can put, kind of put them into groups or into categories. Um, so it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that a psalm has to fit this way or that way. We're just trying to observe what's there and say, you know, it fits here, uh, it fits there. So it, it is a praise psalm, and I think you see the repetition of, of praise in the psalm, and, and obviously, uh, praise and, and worship is is central to the psalm. Um, but I certainly would consider it non-conventional. So y- you start out with a direct address, commitment to praise. So typically. In a praise psalm, you'll see a a call to praise, uh, reasons for praise, a commitment to praise, and a concluding praise, that sort of thing. It's kind of just typically what we've seen time and again. So this one has rather this direct address commitment to praise. Um, Then there are some reasons for praise, but they're sort of woven throughout the psalm. They don't appear just in one uh, particular block or two. Um, And then you also get... um, interestingly, a, a vision of future praise within this psalm and then a concluding expression of confidence. Um, so the, you know, this, this praise is going to be realized. So again, uh, I would categorize it as a praise psalm. It's just non probably non-conventional uh, as far as most of the praise psalm types in psalms. Um, as far as minor elements go, the uh, most um, prominent would probably be that prophetic predictive uh, it is looking forward to a time that has, that has not yet um, been fulfilled. And beyond that, this is actually the first psalm of the final group of David's psalms. So from Psalm 138 to Psalm 145, we have this final group of David psalms. And then, of course, those last few psalms are, are just, the, just the grand um, climax of, of the whole of, of the psalms. So, this is the first of this final David group of Psalms. Now, Psalm 138, it is, it is connected um, with the previous Psalms. So, if we look back to like Psalms 135 to 137, we, we had a, that, that little subgroup of historical Psalms that we saw. And we can see several connections between them. We have reference to the gods in here uh, bowing toward the temple, um, in the uh, enduring forever being emphasized uh, themes of of exile and abandonment and and such and so there are a number of connections to those preceding psalms, but it also connects with much much earlier psalms um, so psalm two and psalm eight and psalm sixteen and psalm twenty two um, and uh, I, i'm not gonna I'm not gonna quiz you, but when you hear <laughs> Psalms 2 and 8 and 16 and 22 especially, those are very significant messianic psalms. So it should, it should trigger something um, in your mind when you hear a psalm that has a lot of connections with these um, other messianic or, or kingly psalms. Um, now the poetic features of this psalm, I, I think one outstanding uh, feature in particular would be the voice Of the psalm, so um, when you read through this psalm, almost every statement in the psalm is actually a direct address to the Lord. Um, The only exceptions to that would be sort of a reflective, um, reflective verses, like verse six and verse eight. But all the rest of them are are direct address um, to the Lord, and that certainly is a um, a not entirely common um, feature among the psalms. Uh, the psalm also uses some word associations, and so when you read through this psalm, and, and especially if you've been, you know, studying the psalms all the way through and studying the psalms as a collection and how they work together and all of that, well, you're going to notice this psalm, even though it's relatively a short psalm, it has just a pile of covenantal associated terms, terms that even when used by themselves are generally have some sort of covenantal association, but especially when they're used in groups. And so um, obviously you've got the word um, hesed uh, that shows up a couple of times, uh, references to God's name, um, to the words of his mouth, um, to God perfecting or completing um, and him not abandoning or forsaking. And so you've got a lot of terms in, in this short psalm um, that are, that's very, very covenant um, reference heavy. Um, beyond that, we'll say there's just some minor um, imagery, uh, minor repetition and, and things that are pretty standard um, in the Psalms. All right, so we want to work our way through here. We have eight verses. I'll go ahead and read this. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answerest me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. So verses 1 and 2 give us this opening commitment to praise. And, and of course, you immediately notice the um, commitment to praise with the whole heart, this wholehearted commitment. commitment and so it's a a reference to the to the entirety of of being in essence you know my my whole self um will be engaged in the praise of the lord and he makes this reference to singing praise and the word that's used for singing there's two different words that are translated sing in this psalm and the word here is one that actually means um like plucking strings on an instrument, and so it's it's a word that in, that indicates um, singing with musical accompaniment. Um, and then the well, the next word we'll see refers just to the lyrical singing um, that's used later. Now the word for gods is interesting here in verse one, and essentially, and it is it is Elohim, and um, Elohim uh, can be used in. Three different ways, and what I mean by that is in ways that are not in reference to God, the creator of heaven and earth. Um, The word for gods can be used, and it is is a plural, um, and it can be used uh, to speak of human rulers, which it does at times. It can be used to speak of false gods or idols, and it can be used to speak of spirit beings, and we can find all of those uses in the Old Testament. And so the question is, of course, you encounter a verse like this: is well, what 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 is the intention here? Um, I don't I don't think it's entirely clear um, what the intention is, and um, it's it's one of those that if you look at at different commentaries, you know, they're they're just going to provide this just a whole host of views of could be this, could be that, could be could be something else. I think really though. That it mostly is going to fall within the first of those two choices. It's going to be a reference to human rulers, or it could be references to the false gods or um, the idols. And and really the way that it functions, when you read this psalm and you read the whole context of the psalm, the way this reference functions, it seems to be an indirect reference to the nations. So if, 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 if that indeed is the case, which later we get reference to the kings of the earth praising because they heard God's word, and here he's committing to sing God's praises before the gods. So uh, again, it could be most likely I believe it is a reference to um, the rulers of the nations. So th- this, is the, this is the intent um, contextually, and we see that being fulfilled um, in the later verses. Um, in verse two, we get this reference of bowing the worship the word for kneel down or bow down toward thy holy temple reference to the temple in Zion though Zion is not mentioned um the obviously the the um the connotation here is that the the temple is there um and and David is singing praise and again, this is part of the future um vision of this psalm um now we have this connection like verse two. Um, we get thine, thy name, we get thy loving kindness, thy truth, and thy word, and a repetition of thy name. So we, here we've got, again, we've got just a, a grouping up, a gathering up of all these covenantal terms, references to God's name, which we have seen as we have been going through how that references to God's name, well, what is God's name? God's name is the security of, of the covenant when he could swear by none greater he swore by himself and this is why you read in the prophets God sending word to Israel about judgment is going to come upon them but yet you know a remnant will be preserved and he's going to you know he's going to restore them at some future time and, and typically you'll, you'll see references like for my name's sake it's not for your sake that I'm going to do it. I'm gonna do it for my name's sake. Why? Because his name is the surety of the covenant. That's what he gave for the surety or the security of the covenant. So this reference to God's name to um, Hesed that is here translated loving kindness. Uh, we've talked about that numerous times, but it's also joined here with the word for truth, Emet. Um, so it's it's sort of a it's sort of equivalent to um the the reference to grace and truth um you know, we've talked about that before as well um and and God's word so all these all these words referring to the security of the covenant God's faithfulness to his covenant promises and his trustworthiness to keep them and that's the the truth truthfulness trustworthiness um and and word in this context so word shows up a number of times God's word or the words of his mouth or 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 something like that and in this context, we, we generally, we see God's word and we start thinking, well, you know, the Bible. Um, but, but specifically in this context, God's word refers to his covenant promises. Those promises that he has spoken. That's his word to David in particular, which is the subject of this psalm. So we get all of these, all of these references together and, and David is, is, is worshiping. And he's praising. Uh, he's he's praising the name of the Lord. Uh, he's you know he's praising his um, covenant faithfulness, his, his trustworthiness, um, and his word. His that he has spoken um, that is greater than his name, or is exalted above his name, because the name is the uh, is the foundation, it's the security um, of the word. You get to verse three. Um, and we see David now talking about deliverance. And this verse almost, really when you look at this psalm, uh, probably should have maybe mentioned it under poetic features, but when you look at this psalm, it it almost seems like we've seen just about all of these statements before, um, just sort of in different places and in different orders. And It's it's almost like it's sort of an assembly of a a bunch of different lines from psalms that are are together. So verse 3 sort of seems like it was snatched from a lament, Um, and and it's, it's, it's referenced to this, Deliverance and crying out. Of course, we've we've seen again. We've seen this before. um, Crying out and being answered uh, oftentimes shows up in lament psalms, and the the implication of that is that the psalmist has a reason to expect to be heard and answered. Like it's it's not just sort of a shot in the dark. Um, You know, it's not just sort of you know throwing throwing something out there and 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 seeing you know if it if it gets answered or heard or, or whatever there's a reason and that and that's also why we've noticed in the laments now it's not it doesn't come out here because this isn't isn't a lament but in the laments we've noticed that a lot of times we also get that question of how long how long how long are you going to stay silent how long are you not going to act how long um, before you deliver me from these enemies and questions like that. And again, those are covenantally based. It's because God has promised to do something. So David speaks about this deliverance that when he cried, when he cried out to the Lord, he had reason to expect and he was, he was answered and he was strengthened. And strengthened in his soul, um, referring to an inner strengthening, which which has the effect of, of preserving. In other words, it's It's sort of like saying that that God sustained him. and we've noticed again, if you go back to the to many of the laments and even David's uh, many of his laments that there's a there's a weariness. It's like it's been a long and 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 protracted time that he's been in this crisis. um so he is preserved. Then we get to verses four to six, and this is where we now get sort of a shift that starts talking about the kings of the earth and the fact that they will praise the Lord. Again, it's future-oriented, the kings of the earth, all the kings of the earth, and, and the, the word is there, so total, the total uh, of the kings of the earth um, shall praise the Lord. So this is envisioning future praise from the kings of the earth. And notice that it's when they hear the words of thy mouth. And again, when we read this in context once again, specifically, God's word in this psalm is his word to David. It is his promise, his covenant to David. And when, when they hear God's word, in other words, when God's word to David has been fulfilled, it's going to result in the kings of the earth praising the Lord. And again, this is something that has not um, happened. And then we get this other word for sing there in verse number five, and, and that word again, it's, it's different from the earlier word, and it just has more to do with the lyrical um, singing, uh, the, the voice and, and such. Um, and the kings of the earth are going to sing praises. Um, and the word for glory that is used there, it is that term kavod, and, and we have noticed how often that that word is used in connection with authority and with power and, and with reigning. Uh, and God's covenant promises to David obviously concern kingship and the throne. Um, and so the the glory of the Lord essentially will, will be praised in that day, the glory of the Lord um, which will be uh, upon the anointed son. Um, it, it's and These references to singing are also interesting given psalm 137 which comes right before it because that you know that psalm that you had the exiles in babylon and they couldn't sing jerusalem's destroyed the temple is, is is destroyed we hung our harps up on the on the tree because we cannot sing uh we're we're in a foreign land we're not in the land of promise and so now we get sort of a reversal as you come to this psalm because now david is is singing praises because god's word's been fulfilled and not only david all the kings of the earth meaning meaning all the nations of the earth will be singing the praises of the Lord as well. Now, um, we get verse 6 which is that re- uh, that reflective um uh, not really a refrain but but sort of a reflective verse. It's it's it it pulls out of that direct address to the Lord and just sort of gives a reflection here. Contrast the high with the lowly. God is high. He he is um, he is greatest, in other words, this is expressing his supremacy he is he is above all, but it also highlights his grace because you see that contrast there he 's high, but he has respect to the lowly and so there 's a there 's a bending or a stooping compassion on the on the part of God and the idea actually of respecting um, the lowly is supplying um what they what they have need of um, but then we see the contrast with the proud that he doesn 't bend or or stoop to them. Um, the proud, which the word indicates, the, the lofty, the lifted up. The, it's a word that uh, that essentially is used to refer to arrogance. And God is far off from them. And being far off means no help and no deliverance for them. Well, then we get to the last two verses, verses 7 and 8 of this psalm. And these verses... Um, speak of, of God's everlasting covenant mercy. And, and you get him walking in the midst of trouble, verse 7, and, and um, you just can't help but think of Psalm 23, 4, uh, David walking through the valley of the shadow of death and, and, and such. And so it certainly gives us sort of that, um, that recognition and that echo. But the word for trouble that is used here, um, it, it is a word that, you know, can mean distress and tribulation and various sort of things, but it, but it also has the idea of adversaries. So it's, it's not, it's, these troubles here are not, they're not like um, calamity, um, like a flood. You know, a flood brings a calamity. Um, a, a, a whirlwind, a tornado brings a calamity. An earthquake brings a calamity. Um, an outbreak of of pestilence or some sort of disease or um, infection you know that brings a calamity um, but this this word is more of a of a distress that has that has come from adversaries so it's it 's more uh, it 's more of the suffering that comes at the hands of enemies, which enemies um, are mentioned here shortly um, but it's the, so uh, him walking in the midst of this trouble from adversaries, uh, implies being surrounded by them. And in fact, the same word is used uh, with the same sort of idea in Psalm 22 and verse number 11, that, um, that great messianic psalm. Now, he uses this word for revive. He's walking in the midst of trouble, but God's going to revive me. Thou, thou wilt revive me. Now, the word for revive, it means to make alive. And it's used in two primary ways. Uh, one is the sense of keeping alive or in sense of, of preserving life, life that is in life that is in danger, life that is threatened and it being preserved. And that usage is like in Psalm 33 and verse 19. But it also means to make alive again, which implies resurrection from the dead. Um, and you can see it used that way, Psalm 71 and verse 20, and particularly in Psalm 85 and verse number 6, where it refers to, to the restoration of Israel as a resurrection, um, you know, image that we're familiar with from the book of Ezekiel and the Valley of the Dry Bones, and um, the Lord saying to Ezekiel that, you know, this is Israel, and they essentially, they're being resurrected from the dead. So, um, and we certainly know that that David has many of his Psalms before, in fact, Psalm 22 uh, has, has resurrection imagery and language in it um, we've seen other Psalms of, of David that have um, that sort of language we know that Psalm 16 in particular um, prophesied the resurrection of the Messiah um, and so uh, certainly that's that's nothing strange or unusual and so it just sort of gives us that that resurrection. Um, language. And just like in, particularly in Psalm 85, 6, that leads to praise. And that's what happens here as well. Um, now, the stretching out of God's hand um, against the enemies of his anointed, uh, it, it's, it's indicating that action that's taken at an appropriate time. And enemies is something that we haven't encountered nearly as much in Book Five of the Psalms, and, and we're getting close to the end of the Psalms, and, and we're not encountering references to enemies as much. Um, but they are still they are still here. They are they are still a thought. They're never entirely out of the picture because the destruction of, of the enemies is an important eschatological theme. It is it's important part of that future vision um, that will include. The promises to David being fulfilled, as well as to Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob and and, and so on, um, that he's going to save with with the right hand, um, and we we can see reference to David of that way back early Psalm twenty and verse number six. But saving by the right hand, um, obviously that's that's in, indicative of power, but it's all but it's also um, indicative of a unilateral action. Um, and I didn't have time to think of a, of a shorter word to use there than unilateral. And, and, and basically what uh, unilateral means is that it's, it's, it's one way, one way. So God's saving by his right hand is referring to the fact that he alone does it. All right, so in other words, David, David doesn't help God deliver him. Uh, David doesn't have companions that that help God deliver him that the deliverance is of God's right hand. It's of his power and of his strength alone. Um, and then we get in verse eight, we get this this next reflection verse um, and the Lord will perfect that. So the word for perfecter, it means to complete. It means to to bring to completion. And what concerns David specifically is God's covenant promises to David. And in particular, we have seen reference to this very recently, uh, Psalm 132 and verse number 11, "...the Lord hath sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it, of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne." So the specific promise to David that is central in this psalm is that God has promised to raise up one of David's descendants to sit on his throne over Israel forever. And we read this reflection: the, you get the word for mercy. That's Chesed um, again. That is repeated. Uh, it endures forever. In other words, there's no. There's no expiration date on God's promises. There's no uh, his faithfulness and his loyalty to his promises that he has made will never fail. Uh, It will be fulfilled. And the ending petition there is not to abandon his works, and specifically the works of his own hands. And this uh, would refer uh, to creation in general and to the earth and mankind upon the earth in particular. Uh, And we can see a, a, a similar reference in Psalm 8 and verse number 6. All right, let's go to interpretation. Psalm 138 teaches that god will not abandon his purpose for his creation and this can be something that oftentimes um can be troubling it it uh can be something uh, that that can cause people difficulty like you know thinking why um you well why didn't why didn't god just destroy satan and just start over or um you know all these other things. Well, why didn't God do this, or why didn't God do that, or or why would he Why would he make a world uh, and allow this creation to go on as long as it has with um, Satan and evil spirits and and all and sin and death and suffering and all the things that's gone on? Well, you know this this verse sort of taps in God. God, it's a prayer to God to not forsake the works of His own hands, and of course. That he's he's not going to, um, particularly those works of his hand again, earth and man upon the earth, and we we've, we've read of God's purpose and and the redemption of the creation, and we read uh, Psalm eight again, very uh, number of connections with this Psalm and Psalm number eight, um, and references to to God and to His purpose in the in the creation and and mankind. Um, and, and we get strong covenantal terms throughout this psalm. And again, that that's founded upon God's word of promise. In other words, it's not any merit on the part of any men on the earth. It's not as though God is sitting back and is just waiting for mankind to get better. Um, that like somehow mankind is improving as, as time goes on. And eventually, they're, you know, they're going to get to the point where... You know, God is able to, to come back and, and, and do something. No, that's not the case at all. Um, so, God's promises, his word of promise, is what's, what shows he will not abandon or forsake um, the works of his hands, particularly his creation and man upon the earth. And you get the various attributes of God that are referred to in this psalm. And, and here we see him. Um, they're all shown to be in the service of fulfilling God's purpose um, as expressed, again, through his words of promise. And so the Messianic hope of Psalm 138 is seen through this central focus of the psalm. So the psalm centers on David and God's word of promise to David. And you notice um, you get the, um, like, verse 3, crying out and being strengthened uh, on the part of David. David being in the midst of of a surrounded by enemies and being saved by God's right hand in verse number seven. And what's that result in? Results in all the kings of the earth praising the Lord. So the saving of David and the fulfilling of his word to David is what results in the praise from all the kings of the earth. So that central promise to David was a son. From David to sit on David's throne forevermore. And so we have connections here again, those Messianic Psalms, Psalm 2, Psalm 8, Psalm 16, uh, Psalm 22. And it, it shows again this hope to be in the anointed son of David who is the son of God who will come to the earth, destroy the rebellious kings, and rule the nations with a rod of iron. All right, application. Uh, Let's see, I have two of these. Number one, understanding Psalm 138 helps us understand the Psalms generally. David is the most prominent human being um, in the Psalms, certainly the most uh, prominent writer of the Psalms. But more than that, David's life and his deliverance and his salvation and his resurrection and promises fulfilled to him are crucial to the redemptive purpose of God to restore this creation that he has made through his son now again god chose david god god chose david out of the, out of the sheepfold you know he's the youngest he's he's the most insignificant of jesse's sons and yet he is the anointed one because god has chosen him it's and uh, sometimes people think um that statement you know well god was david was a man after god's own heart and they think oh that you know that means that you know david was upright and he was he was pious and and he was no no no, he, he was that was god's choice he was the man after god's heart saul was the man after the people of israel's heart they they chose king saul god chose david so again, it's not it's not because of, of David, it's not because of of what he was able to do or or any particular qualities that he possessed. No, it, it's all centered around God's word, God's word of promise to David. And in fact, when you look at um, those some of those last words of David there at the end of, of 2 Samuel, you know, David just says, you, you you know, he's he's given me a covenant that's ordered in all things, and sure and not like my house. <laughs> you know, David recognized that he himself, and we've seen the penitential psalms where David confesses um, sin and iniquity. And David recognized that he himself and his, his sons after him, it wasn't because of them. They, they, it was because of God's mercy. It was because he had given him a covenant that was ordered in all things and sure that this, was, this is why David had this hope. So when we understand that, and we read a psalm like Psalm 138. We understand, you know, what what David's hope really was, and it really, again, it helps us in in many ways understanding uh, the psalms in in general, and understanding um, David and his words. That you know, it wasn't just that David was a talented musician or uh, a talented poet or or whatever, or you know, he was just good at expressing emotion or whatever that, that you want to say. Um, but it was actually um, the place of David in God's purpose. And David's place there was because God placed him there. Um, But it is an important place in God's purpose. Uh, All right, so number two, understanding Psalm 138 does help us have hope in God who will revive all those who believe in him. So because God's name endures... We we don't have to fear the grave as though you know. Well, uh, time ran out, and I, I didn't experience the promises of God being fulfilled. I didn't see Jesus Christ return. I you know I didn't I didn't um, you know sort of walk into into glory so to speak. Um, well, we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear the grave. God God's um, promises, His Word. Endures forever. His name endures forever, and all of his promises will be fulfilled. And again, David is is a is a very uh, important figure in God's redemptive purpose. But also, so are those that that are take refuge in Him. That are in covenant relationship with Him. Um, we do benefit. From those those promises being fulfilled, um, so because God's name endures, again we don't have to we don't have to fear the grave, um, and it, you know our, our our life on earth may end before Jesus Christ returns, um, but that's okay. That's that's not going to uh, that's not going to alter God's purpose or God's timetable or the fact that all these things are going to come true. David's been dead a long time but he's talking about things that that he's going to see and he's going to participate in. He's going to sing the praises of the Lord and the kings of the earth are going to sing the praises of the Lord. David knows that. Why? Because God's made that promise and, and he keeps uh, his word.